Our scripture reading today is from Genesis. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Let's pray together and ask for God to help us as we receive his word. Father, thank you for giving us your word. And this time carved out from everything else this week that we're together receiving it at the same time as your people. Lord, please help us as individuals and as a church to be renewed, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds to not just understand it, although we do need your help for that, but to receive it and be changed by it. Please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Genesis this fall. We began last week, and we started in Genesis chapter 4. And we're just going to work our way through Genesis this fall until we get to Advent, and then we're going to return to the book of Mark like we've been doing for a couple of years now. Returning to Mark every Advent, every Easter, until we work through the whole book. Um, I, I prayed about this. I prayed what to do this fall, and I felt drawn for, for different reasons, some just practical and logical in my own mind, and, and then some, I think, spiritual and, and God-directed to Genesis, and particularly to begin at Genesis chapter 4 last week. And then after last week, I was talking to Terry, and she said, well, you know what's interesting is I just recently returned to Genesis and have been reading through, and just recently came through that passage that you preached last week. I thought, man, that's neat. I always am encouraged when that happens. It feels like a little confirmation that the Lord's up to something. Then um, Lillian, my daughter, said, it's so weird that you preached on Cain and Abel last week. She was in here last week for the service. We just talked about that in school, like the day before, or the week before, rather. Wow, that's really interesting. And then this morning while I'm getting all the, you know, make sure everything's set with the computer back there, Rick says, you won't believe what was on the sermon I listened to in the car on the way to church this morning. You won't believe what he preached on, Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, just like last week. I was like, wow, this is getting strange. And Dawn was standing there. She said, and I, I mentioned that Terry says she had recently returned to Genesis in her uh, personal Bible reading. And Dawn said, well, I did too. Just two weeks ago, I had returned to Genesis. So God wants us, apparently, to be listening to his word here in Genesis. And I, I know that he has good things in store for us. And all of his word is profitable. Now, I could flip to any passage and we could read it and it'd be profitable to us. But at the same time, he's sovereign over these things and he guides us. And so we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 5. I told you last week, when you study an Old Testament history book like this, the main thing you gain isn't a lot of moral do's and don'ts, but rather a historical picture and perspective of God 
and who he is, what he's like, how he has operated in relationship with his people throughout history. And as you, as you understand God better, you understand all of reality better. And you understand your own life better. So we're in Genesis chapter 5. And guess what? It's a genealogy. Now I'm assuming you're here this morning because you were hoping I would preach through a genealogy. All the church growth books agree, if you want to grow your church fast, preach through genealogies. Why are these genealogies in the Bible? Why are they in here? God doesn't make a mistake, especially when it comes to his word that he inspired and gave to us. And it's full of these genealogies, especially in the Old Testament. As we move through Genesis, we're going to see a bunch of genealogies. What's it in there for? Well, I want to give you four reasons they're in there, four reasons we should value the genealogies. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it'd be helpful. One, they ground theology in history and history in theology. The genealogies ground and cement our theology in real history and our understanding of history in theology. See, one of the most significant things to me about my faith and why I believe what I believe is that it's historical. It's not just ideas that people came up with. It's historical, and the vast majority of the Bible is historical record of real things that happened to real people in a real relationship with a real God. So the genealogies ground theology and history and history and theology. A second thing, the genealogies establish continuity over long stretches of time. When we think about why does God put genealogies in there, they, they link important focal stories like Cain and Abel and Noah and the flood through history. Without covering every detail of it, they establish continuity between the, the big stories throughout history. It's sort of like when you're watching a movie and they, they do a montage. Like you think about Rocky movies. Rocky needs to get trained up so he's ready to fight whoever he's going to fight. And all of a sudden the music kicks on and it's just scene after scene after scene of him chasing chickens and doing pull-ups and doing push-ups and, and uh, punching raw meat. If you haven't seen Rocky, you don't know what I'm talking about. But they're some of the most famous montages and it, it zips you through time quickly. So in a span of 30 seconds, you can see that he spent a lot of time doing a lot of stuff. And that's sort of another function of the genealogies. It zips us through time, several generations. But we, we don't think that God left or went away. He was still present, still at work. And so we have a record of it. A third thing, often the genealogies establish the identity and qualification for an individual. So do you remember what's the very first thing you read when you start reading the New Testament? A genealogy. A lengthy genealogy, one of the main purposes of which is to establish that Jesus Christ is legitimately king of Israel through the line of David. In the genealogy here in, in Genesis 5, it lands on Noah. Part of the function of it is establishing that Noah is of the seed of Adam through the line of Seth not Cain. Okay, so fourth one, and this is the most significant. 
many of the genealogies in the scripture follow the promised person. They follow the promised person. They track the promised person. Humanity is in big trouble. It it has been so from, from very early on in human history. God's plan for solving that problem isn't some new technology, but a person, a Messiah. And God's people, the Jews, were waiting and waiting and waiting for him. And as you track through the genealogies, it's it's like tracking and tracing through the line, the promised seed of Eve that would crush the serpent. When's he going to come? Following the seed of Eve. The promised blessing to all nations that's going to come through Abraham. You track through the genealogies to see there's going to be a descendant of Abraham. The promised king that would reign forever from David's lineage. You track through the genealogies to see, and eventually they all, all these messianic gene- genealogies terminate on Jesus Christ and land on Jesus Christ. So they're in here for a reason, and they are important, and they are significant. So we will give them their due consideration and their due time, and I think you'll be surprised at how fun it is. Or maybe you won't, but that's not really my call. I just obediently preach through the whole counsel of the word and let it fall where it may. You can divide Genesis chapter 5 into three headings, and that's how we'll take it on. The first one uh, I'll call introduction. The second heading would be genealogy. The third heading would be hope. Introduction, genealogy, hope. Now, as I was talking with Dawn this morning, she said, I'm very interested to see how you're going to preach a sermon on Genesis 5, on a chapter-long genealogy. And I said, well, what you couldn't have ever guessed is that not only am I going to preach one sermon on it, I'm going to preach two sermons on it. This is just part one. Part two will be next week. We're only going to have time for the intro part, the introduction part. Next week we'll see the genealogy and the hope. So the introduction, really we're going to focus on the first verse and also in light of the second verse. And let's read those verses again. Genesis 5 Verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So Moses, we have every reason to believe Moses was the human author of these early New Testament books known as the Torah, including Genesis, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, perhaps through just revealed knowledge, uh, perhaps by aid of oral history or even written history, records for us some foundational elements of human beginnings. He's reestablishing some foundational truths about humanity after the debacle of Cain. It's almost like, okay, we're regrouping now after what we studied last week with Cain. And he's reminding us of a couple of foundational truths about humanity. And we're just going to look at these two truths that he includes in verse 1. You can can consider this a biblical anthropology. It's a biblical way to understand what are we humans? What is this human life all about? Halfway through verse 1, 
When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And then into verse 2, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. What's the key word in there? Created, created, created. God created man. Mankind, human beings, are created beings from a creator, with a capital C, from the creator. Now, pretend that this is the very first time you've heard that truth. It's the very first time you heard that you are a creature made, designed, created by the creator. A real being who actually exists created you. What are the implications of that? Well, there's a lot that could be said. Right here around this passage, we can see two things. Uh, dependence and design. If you were here last week, some of you were, and, and some weren't able to be here last week, but the very last verse of Genesis chapter 4 says, to Seth, was, uh, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. This is the end of another genealogy. And it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. People were returning to the right lifestyle as created beings, calling upon the name of the Lord. Part of the fact that you are a created being of the creator, one of the implications of that is you're designed to be dependent upon him. You're not designed to be fully autonomous. We're not built for that. God didn't build us to be creators like he is, gods like he is. We're not built for it. We're not designed for it. We're designed to live a life of dependency on our creator, calling upon the name of the Lord. And you feel it, don't you? When you stray away from that and begin to live as though you are autonomous from your creator, as though you didn't need his divine help, you feel the stress of it, the grinding down exhaustion of it. It's because you weren't meant to live like that. God created man. This also means that he is the designer of mankind. We are not the designers of mankind. God is the designer of mankind. He speaks to that briefly in verse 2. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So God, who is an eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created mankind, as we'll see in a minute, in his image and in his likeness, and that included a diversity within mankind, specifically male and female. And that's central to his design. It's mentioned in the foundational principles that help us understand what we are as human beings. Male and female, he created them. He also says that he blessed them. He's a good and benevolent creator. He didn't create us just to smite us. He created us to bless us. And it says that he named us, which denotes authority over us. You are a created being. You are a creature of the creator. Now, one of humanity's most foundational problems is, apart from what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, we suppress this truth. I want to read to you way in the New Testament from Romans chapter 1. And this is a portrait of how bad humanity gets when we suppress this truth that we're creatures of the creator. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. And it goes on to outline the tragedy of when human beings forget that they're creators, I mean, they're creations of the creator. And as wise as they think they are, they become fools, and their understanding is darkened. Proverbs teaches that the very beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And there really is no true wisdom that's not built on that foundation, that God is God and we are his. It goes on in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, we have in our DNA worship. We are going to be worshiping something. And we, when we suppress what we know to be true about God, our creator, it doesn't mean we don't worship anything. It means we worship lesser things. We worship something within his creation, ourselves, people, stuff, money, plans. It goes on, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. See, when God created them, he created them male and female. And when we suppress the truth of our creator, we get confused about everything. He goes on in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Everything about how we relate to each other gets deformed, turned in on itself. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know not God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. One of the most foundational problems we have is that we suppress the reality that we're creatures of the Creator, the capital C Creator. We have all kinds of disorders. We have all kinds of issues. I do and you do. But the disorder beneath all the disorders is a worship disorder. That we are prone to worship self, people, lesser things rather than God. 
And God reminds us here, way back at the very beginning, he reminds us foundationally, because he loves us, he reminds us, you are my creatures. I created you to depend on me. I have a good design for you. We're created to honor him as God, to give thanks to him as God, to worship him as God. So the first foundational truth Moses, through the Holy Spirit, reminds us of is that God created man. The second, he made him in the likeness of God. It says back in Genesis 5, second half of verse 1, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. You are distinct from every other element of creation. You're not like the other things that God created. You're not like the animals. You're distinct. You're special among creation as a human being. Everyone is. Every one of you and everyone that you know, anyone you've ever seen on TV, is special from all other creation because every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. Back in Genesis chapter 1, it recounts how God created mankind says in verse 26, this I don't believe is projected, but you can listen to it. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, And to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So we see where God created animals to reproduce after their own kind. It says he created man in his own image, after his own image and likeness. And even though we are fallen and contaminated by sin and we're each born into it, we still retain the image of God, the likeness of God. This means a couple of things, biblically. It means that we're to represent him. That's what that idea of image means. We're his representatives here. Likeness means that we resemble him in some way, some mysterious way we resemble God. So we're representatives with resemblance. The closest analogy I can think of for this is my we avatar, we have a Wii, you know, a Nintendo Wii, and my kids set up a, an avatar for each of us, and he made it look like each of us, and it's a little disturbing how much mine looks like me. <laughs> it has what my son calls the puzzle piece hairline, kind of a large nose, and kind of tall and skinny, but a little bit roundish right here. And so on the Wii, if I play a Wii game that uses that avatar, that avatar is sort of my image and likeness in the game. It's in there representing me in that world. That's kind of what human beings are. It's a limited analogy. It's not fully accurate, but it gives you a bit of an idea. God has populated the earth with this, this amazing diversity of image bearers, each one in their own unique way, 
revealing some aspect of the Lord, resembling him in some unique way and representing him. Adam and Eve were to represent God by their stewardship over the rest of creation. Dominion and responsibility and relationship, all these things that are innate in us had to do with us being made in God's image and likeness. One of our most foundational problems as human beings is that as we suppress the truth of our creator, we begin to lose our our inherent dignity and our inherent value and our inherent purpose in how we view ourselves and how we view other people. We see it through the theory of evolution, which leads to the logical conclusion that life is meaningless survival of the fittest, and we are just more highly evolved animals. But that is not the Christian teaching. You are not just a highly evolved animal. You are a precious creature made in God's image and likeness. We see the problem of losing this doctrine in how people treat other people. When we treat people as objects or obstacles, as inanimate, it reveals that we are losing this knowledge that people are inherently very, very valuable because they're made in the image and likeness of God. When we lose this, we can talk of babies like their tissue in their mother's womb, forgetting that God knit us together in our mother's womb, intricately woven in our mother's womb. We can begin to dehumanize our political opponents and how we think of them and how we talk about them. We can begin to dehumanize the people we interact with online. We can begin to objectify people based on their looks or what we think they can do for us. But here God reminds us, every human being was created in his likeness. So, two foundational truths. God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Now, what difference would it make for you if you were to live perfectly in light of these two truths? What would your life look like? How would it be different if you were able to live perfectly in light of these two truths? That you're a creature of the creator, made, designed by him to depend upon him and live according to his word. That you and every other human being is made in God's image, imbued with with amazing value and dignity. How would it change the way you live your life, the way you treat other people, if you could do it perfectly? Well, you can't. You never have lived perfectly in light of this. I can't. I never have lived perfectly in light of this. The Bible teaches that every single person is flawed here. When sin entered the world, it infected each new generation, and it it cracked up the foundation of our humanity. It messed everything up. What problem do we experience does not flow from a distortion or a devaluation of these two truths? Our poor decisions, our wasted time, our fears, our sins, the growing complications of our sins' consequences in our own lives, in each other's lives. Everybody has fallen short of living in light of these two foundational truths. Except for one person. The Bible teaches that only one person ever lived perfectly in light of God's design for humanity. 
It's not me and it's not you. It's Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we have failed to live and he died the death that we deserve on the cross so that our sins could be paid for. And then he arose from the grave proving that he is who he claimed to be all the while. The promise is that all who will trust and follow him will be recreated in the image and likeness of God. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. This has to do with this promise that if we'll trust and follow Jesus, we'll be recreated in the image of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not just a reformed person, not just a slightly cleaner guy, a little bit better gal, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, new creations, old passed away, new has come. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And one more, Colossians 3, 5 through 10. God's instructions to those who have been recreated in Jesus Christ. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, I'm sorry, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In our rebellion from the creator, we don't need moral do's and don'ts. We need to be placed in Christ and thus become new creations. 
in our denigrating of God's image, we don't need church attendance. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what God does in his people through Christ. This is the good news God wants us to offer to the world. You are a creature of the creator, made in his likeness. May we live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ has made us new creations. May we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. And may we proclaim the good news of recreation in Jesus Christ to the world. Let's pray. Father, you've given us your word. And it cuts to the heart and it reveals our need, not just for self-improvement, but for a savior. And we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have provided that savior. I Thank you for forgiving me of my sins through Jesus Christ. I thank you for making that available to us as a church. And I pray that you would help us to live in light of it and to put off our old self and put on the new self that has been recreated in your image and to go forth in the world with that message of good news. In Jesus Christ, we can be restored how we were always meant to be. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.